ever found that there's a time when you have to make a choice? But it's hard to make the choice because there's a lot of different options laid out before you. I, I try to think of a perfect analogy, and some of you have been here before, where you're the kid at the ice cream parlor, and mom and dad say, you need to pick an ice cream, and he's standing there with an endless amount of decisions. And dad says, which one do you want? And in his mind, he's thinking, I want one of all of them. I want all the choices. There's just too many to pick from. Have you been there before where you have to make a choice? Oh, it's hard to make the choice because there's so many different options. Choosing a car, which car do you pick? Which model, which make, which year? Choosing a house. Do you remember choosing your child's name and the battle over that? It had to sound perfect. It had to be written just beautifully. It had to roll off the tongue. What's the right name? There, there are some choices in life that are hard because of the endless opportunities and possibilities that lay before us. Sometimes the, the choices or decisions or paths we are to take as the people of God are clear. They're obvious to us. They're obvious because it's written right in the Word of God. Certain things like do this or don't do that. That's kind of like a 2 Timothy 2 and verse 22 when he says, Flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So there's times when it's, it's clear. Don't do some things, stay away from sin, and then do these things, pursue these things which God says are, are right and good and pure. But sometimes the choices laid out before us are much more difficult. They're difficult because the Word of God doesn't specifically say anything about it. In fact, let me lay some at your feet. What college do I go to? Uh, should I date this person should I marry this person? Should I date at all or, or marry at all? Should I take this job? The opportunity has come to me. Should I take this job even though it may move me to a different state? Should I move to a different state or different locations? The Word of God does not directly talk about each of those situations. What do we do then when we face those kind of questions? You see, in Philippians chapter 1, Paul says in verse 21, he, he found himself here in Philippians 1 at the crossroads of an uncertain choice or uncertain path. Philippians 1 verse 21, he says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor, labor for me. And I do not know which to choose. I'm hard-pressed from both directions. Having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Did, did you read here on the page? He knew ultimately what God's choice was going to be. He was convinced of it. But can you at least appreciate the tension? If I had to choose between going on to be with the Lord or staying here to help you and encourage you, I don't know. They're both good choices. Both of them would be right choices. I just don't know which one to make. What do we do then? I'll share with you the, the reason and the um, background for this lesson came from our high schoolers. Because a couple of weeks ago in our class, this question was asked. What do we do? How do we find the right decision or make the right decision when it's not really laid out in the Word of God? And I think some of you can appreciate where they are. How do I know which college to pick when the Word of God doesn't say you need to go to? Church of Christ you here in Dallas. How do I know? Should I date this person, marry this person? How do I know about certain paths like where I live or what job I take? How, how do I make these kind of choices when the way is unclear? When it seems like there's a lot of different right choices, how do I then make the right choice? So I want to provide a little help with that today. 
just a little bit, some questions to think about, to consider, to help us make and navigate through these uncertain choices. But I want to begin with three things we need to avoid, three areas of thinking related to this subject that I, we, we all really need to avoid. Number one, we need to avoid the emotional response. That's really true to all things in life, but especially within this vein of thinking. Oftentimes what you'll find is someone who says, I have an important decision to make. There's a lot of choices, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray about it. And that's biblical, right? James 1 and verse 5 says that if you need wisdom, you ask of God. But for some people, what that means is, I have these choices before me. I don't know which one to pick, and so I'm going to pray to God. And what he will instruct him in the way he should choose. So look at this. Let me ask you a question. Does the Lord direct our steps? Does he have a way, a path, a will for us? Absolutely so. Absolutely he does. However, the will of God, the plan of God, the path of God, the way of God does not determine every specific detail of your mind's life. And we need to understand that. That's misunderstood today. That God's will for me in some people's minds is that he has every detail planned for my life. And if I don't match up with those details, I am straying from the path of God. This is where you get this idea of soulmates. I'm supposed to marry one specific person, a soulmate. And a lot of people get married and years later things aren't ideal and they think, I just married the wrong person. This was not the person I was intended to marry. Prince Charming has morning breath and, and the princess I rescued needed to stay in that castle. This is not what I had in mind. For some people, this is where I need to live. God's going to direct me where it is I need to live. For some people, this is the job that God has laid out for me. The one job. I was made to do this job. There are times in God's past, in the past of, of, of the written word, in the past of history, where God gave those decisions, those choices, those paths to people for his plan, for his purpose. Moving Abraham to different locations, telling Hosea to get married. But for you and I, when it comes to our plan, God's plan for us, God does not have every specific detail of our life already planned for us, or designed for us, or expected of us. And so, for instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 7, verse 8 and 9, he says, Paul says here, I say to the unmarried and to the widows that it is good for them if they remain, remain even as I. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. What's he saying? Whether if you remain single or married, it's your choice. It is your choice. God gives them the freedom, the flexibility to make personal decisions in our life. God does not design that for us, plan that for us. That's our choice. Whether if I stay here or move somewhere else, if I live in Dallas or in Texas or in Kentucky or in Europe or somewhere else, that is my choice. Whether if I work as a teacher or a plumber or a lawyer or a preacher or a doctor, that is my choice choice. The will of God is not about every specific detail. When you notice in Psalm 25, the will of God is not about where you are. It's about where you are with God, no matter where you are. It's not about the job you're doing. It's about the person you are becoming and the God you're serving in that job. And so let's be careful that we don't think God has a specific life plan for me. And everything I do and every path that I take, every specific detail, God is just laying out before me. God can open doors. God can enter prayers. God can weave people into our lives. He can answer the prayers that we are asking by bringing people, by bringing situations, by allowing us to use our talents to serve him. But that does not mean God has a set path for your life, and you have to follow that with every detail. Let's avoid that thinking. Then number three, avoid fleece testing God. 
I was hoping you'd remember that. I know it's early on the Sunday morning. Do you remember that in, in Judges 6 where God comes to Gideon and he says, Hey, I want you to gather the armies and to go against the Midianites. And he says, Yeah, I'm not sure about that. Like, are you really sure this is going to work? And so what he does is he gets some fleece, and he asks for God's providential, miraculous work to say, hey, if you're really for me, don't let this get wet and let the other things be dry. And then he does it again. Don't let this thing get wet and let the other things be dry. And he fleece tests God. And we do this sometimes. It's not with fleece. I hope it's not with fleece. We don't do this fleece. But for us, it kind of sounds like this. If God really wants me to do this, then I'm going to see it in my life, around me. I'm going to hear people speaking about this. I'm going to see it on the Facebook news feed, which is not God. That's the government listening to you and all the other people listening to you. That's not God. (laughs) I'm going to hear people talking about it in conversations, or I'm going to start thinking on it, dreaming on it. I, I fleece test God. Or sometimes we do the opposite. If God does not want me to do this, he'll intervene. He'll say so. He'll bring someone or something in my life before me that will make it clear I'm not supposed to pursue that path. Despite the fact God has this for us, a written word, what I am saying then is, no, no, I I don't want the word of God. I want God to directly communicate to me about this specific situation. And I would just give us the warning, brethren. Jesus said to the evil one, to the evil one, that we're not putting God to the test. If I want direction, if I don't want guidance, don't test God over it. Seek God's will over it. So let's get to that. I've got some some questions. I've got some decisions I could make. Some big life choices. And I don't really know which one to make. What do I do when I've got these hard choices before me? How can I seek the right path, the right choice when all these are before me? I've got four questions you can ask. Four questions that might help in this pursuit as we try and fight the right path. Here's question number one. How does this fit with God's will? Maybe another way of asking is, does this conform or conflict with God's will? Because God does have a will for us, brethren. Again, the will is not, I want you to wear a blue shirt, Ryan Himes, on Sunday morning on August the 7th. I don't want to make sure you wear brown shoes with that blue shirt because it looks and matches really nice. It's not the specific details of everyday life, where you work, where you live, who you marry. The will of God is known, though. There are some people who look at the opposite and say, can we even know what God wants for us? Well, Ephesians 5 verse 17 says, don't be foolish, but no, understand the will of God. And there's some people who write volumes of volumes of what they think God's will is. Let me explain God's specific path for your life. But the psalmist makes it clear. Listen to the language here. I delight to do your will, oh my God, what? Your law is within my heart. How do you know the will of God? How do you know what God's will is for you, for me, right here, and the word of God? So let me share a little bit about the will of God. This could take a while. We're just going to give a glimpse. What's God's will for your life and for my life? Well, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18, and everything give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. His will for us, plan for us, purpose for us is that we be a thankful people, a grateful people, a people who recognize God's blessings in our life. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Sanctification, holiness. I'm a set-apart people. I'm not like the world. That's God's will for you and for me. 1 Peter 2, beginning verse 13. We don't like this one. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governor as a sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, 
that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. What's the will of God? We do right. We do right before God. We do right before men. We're good citizens. We're good neighbors. We are good people. That's a definition of righteousness, of people who do what is right before God and thus what is right before and with our fellow man. Because ultimately, really what this is pointing to, whether you talk about holiness or righteousness, whether you talk about gratefulness and the heart that expresses it, this is really what it's all about, Romans 8 and verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. What is the goal? More like Jesus. I am making you to be Jesus. A mind like his, a heart like his, a will like his. That's God's will for you, Jesus. I made you to be like him, made in the image of God. And when that was broken, I'm trying to remake you into the image of God. And so listen to this from Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Listen, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I'm obeying God and I'm obeying the commandments of God and I'm striving salvation to be right with God, recognizing who he is with fear and trembling. And that is the will and work of God in my life. Do you see that in the end of verse 13? God is willing about me. He's working through me to get the same goal that I am right with him and becoming more like Jesus. Ephesians 2 and verse 10, we are his workmanship, the handiwork, the fine crafting result of God who created us in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. What's God's will? What, was, what were we made for, designed for? To be people who work, his good works, active in his service. We could add on and on and on. Maybe just to kind of conclude it this way from Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 7. Everyone is called by my name who I've created for my glory. Or even the companion, 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. That you, me, we, the people of God, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We were created, we were recreated for the glory of God. To be a people who whatever it is we do, we do it to God's glory. Can you see it then? When we talk about what is God's will for my life. It is not about what job I do or where I live on this earth or the relationships I am in. Those are all peripheral decisions to the main central focus, and that is I'm created to be more like God, to be more like Jesus, and to use every ounce of all that I am to honor and glorify him. And every other decision must be made to support that main central goal. So when I come to questions like, where should I go to college? That seems kind of small compared to the glory of God. But think of it this way. Where should I go to college? Should I date or marry this person? Should I take this job and move? Ask it in light of the view of this goal, of God's will. Should I go to this college or that college? Well, let me ask you something. The place you're wanting to go, are there faithful brethren there who will support you and encourage you and promote you spiritually? Because you know you can't do this on your own. The person I'm wanting to date and or marry, they may not be a Christian, but do they at least have a heart for God, a love for God? Would they help my soul, strengthen my spirit, or do they not even care about God? Because what's my main God? What's God's will? Is this going to fit within that role? 
Should I take this job? Well, is that going to put me in a really hard place to be sanctified every day? To be holy, to bear the fruit of the Spirit? Or how about this one? This is not just for our high schoolers. A lot of adults don't even ask this question. I got this great opportunity. I can move across the country and they're going to pay me double than I've ever made before. Cool, cool. Is there a church there? A faithful church? A strong church? But I'm going to be making so much money. But what's God's will for your life? A had count? Strong savings? Or that you're made more in the image of God? Let's start there. Let's start with the question, when I'm looking at all these decisions, and sometimes that becomes really clear. These may be some good opportunities, but there's no question. Some of these are going to make it hard for me, maybe make it even impossible for me, to pursue the will of God. Listen to the psalmist. Teach me to do your will. We just sang that. Teach me, O Lord. Teach me to do your will. For you are my God. Listen, let your good spirit lead me on level ground. That's what's hard. That's where a lot of people struggle. Is that I'm trying to serve God, but then I'm also trying to pursue the world. And I'm not really on even ground because God is calling me to a higher plane, but the path I'm pursuing and the way I'm trying to live does not fit. It's not elevated. does not match the will of God. I want to live on level ground, which means every choice is going to be aligned by that central focus, the will of God in my life, more like Jesus. That's question number one. Question number two, what direction does the word of God give? What direction does the Word of God give? So after I ask the question, I've got these choices. What is God's will for my life, and how does it fit within God's will? Does the Word of God offer any direction, hope, guidance, wisdom on this? Peter says that his divine power, Christ's divine power, has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Yes, the Bible does not address every single subject under the sun. The Bible does not talk about Facebook. didn't exist back then. But... There are principles, there are examples, there are people in the Bible that can provide broad teaching to our specific situations today. And I need to look at that. Here's what I'm facing. Is there anyone in the Bible who has ever faced a hard situation like the one I'm facing now? Had to make a choice similar to the one I'm making now where it required great sacrifice. Maybe like a Ruth kind of situation where she could stay home and care for her parents and be a good example in Moab or she could leave it all behind and go and follow Naomi. That's a hard choice. Maybe that would help me in my choices, in my decisions as well. Or maybe looking to the Proverbs and listening and saying, is there any wisdom or guidance this book, this wisdom could give to me to these choices? Something like this. Proverbs 22, verse 24 and 25. Do not associate with a man given to anger or go with a hot-tempered man, lest you learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. This person I'm dating has a temper. He'll get over it, though. He changes that. He'll change for me. Or maybe he won't. Maybe I'll change to be more like him. Maybe there's guidance that doesn't specifically say, don't date Jordan Chow's. I didn't have the Jeffrey Bard. Don't, don't date this person, but it may show me a character, a path, a heart to avoid, to abstain from, or to follow. Maybe it's like Paul. Maybe there's something from the wisdom of Paul, like Philippians 3, where I have to make a choice of pursuing Christ, losing, losing a lot in the world, or even from Jesus. The teaching of Jesus, the example of Jesus, the priority of people in Jesus' life, the priority of the kingdom in Jesus' life. When I look to the word of God, is there any direction I can get from what God is revealing to me, either in principle or in persons, that can help me make a wise choice? Question number three, what do wise people say? 
And so I've looked at the Word of God, I've considered God's will, and after that I still have these choices and I'm not sure, well, what do wise people in my life say? Wise people. Proverbs 11 verse 14 says, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in abundance of counselors there is safety. In fact, the New American Standard says there is victory. There is victory and assurance in those who provide wise counsel. Proverbs 11 verse 14 says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. You see that verse 14? I don't need your help. I don't need your guidance. It's a language and the anthem of a fool. But a wise person says, I could use some help. I could use some instruction. I want to see this from a different point of view. I want to listen to those who've lived longer and know more than I do. That's the path of wisdom. Proverbs 19 and verse 20. Listen to counsel and accept discipline that you may be wise the rest of your days. Do you get the theme? If I want to make a wise choice and live a wise life, I need to pursue wise people. That's the point, if you will, of 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, when Solomon's son Rehoboam had all this before him, a kingdom and an immense choice, an immense decision. Do I cripple the people with power, or do I listen to sage wisdom, which is saying, be kind and, and gracious and compassionate? And he rejected wise counsel, and it ruined the nation. Here's the thing. Wise counsel are not those my same age, especially if you're younger. Wise counselor, not those our same age. We only know what it's like to be 15, 16, 20, 22, 35, wherever we are. That's all we know. Wise counsel is not necessarily someone who agrees with me, who's going to say, yeah, I, I think that's right. I think you're right. That's our problem today. We, we don't have a lot of Proverbs 27, verse 6, where it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Because today, if, if you hurt me, if you disagree with me, if you say that I'm wrong, then you're just a negative person in my life. And I don't need negative influences in my life. And so I'm going to block you online, and I'm not going to listen to you. And all my friends and my supporters are going to shout you down as to why you're wrong. Because I am surrounding myself with people who think like I think. Who agree with what I agree with. But if we really want to be wise... I'm not pursuing what it is I want to hear. I'm pursuing what it is I need to hear. I'm not looking for people who agree with me. I'm looking for people who agree with God. I'm not looking for people who will say kind things. I'm looking for people who will say true things and say them kindly. Proverbs 9, verse 8 and 9 says, Do not reprove a scoffer, lest he hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase his learning. And I think some of us need to learn that. We have a lot of learning and growing to do, and we're not going to do it if we can't accept instruction. Even instruction that says where we are is wrong, and we need to change course. And so if I really am stuck at a turning point in my life, and I have these decisions laid out before me, I need to pursue wise voices, the voices of those who know God and have walked with God and have experience with God in his word. Our shepherds are a great place to begin, just saying, I have this before me. I don't really know which path to take. Could you offer some guidance and some counsel? Have you been through this before? Have you ever made a choice like this before? What did you do? Where did you turn? What helped you? And what an amazing blessing that can be as you try to make those same kind of decisions. And that's it, number four, is what would ultimately be best. I know that's not really an easy thing to hear because it doesn't really necessarily help with the decision. But in Luke chapter 10, that's essentially what is taught. Luke chapter 10, in verse 38, Jesus comes to 
to Bethany, and he is welcomed by these sisters in their home. It says in Luke 10 and verse 38, as they were traveling along, he entered a certain village. A woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? And tell her to help me. The Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part. Some translations will say the better part, which will not be taken away from her. We don't like to hear this. I know we don't. But there are some choices, and there's not a wrong choice. There's not. Whether choose to marry or choose to remain single, they're both right choices, so long as I'm serving the Lord. Whether I remain in Dallas or move to other states and other countries and other places, so long as I'm serving the Lord, there's not a wrong choice here. Sometimes what I have to do when I still, after all these questions, I still have these possibilities of good choices before me is just try to be honest as best as I can to ask, just what's the best? What's the best choice? For who I'm trying to become, maybe one day I want to be an elder or a deacon, or a teacher, or strong influence in the, in the Lord's kingdom, what would help me the best with that? I want to be a father or a mother. That makes a difference. What, what would help the best with that? I want to be useful in the Lord's kingdom, and I want to serve, and I want to pursue opportunities to help me with that. What would be the best for that? What would help me the best to get good friends? What would help me the best to live a life that's heaven-bound? And maybe that would help us along the way to realize there's good choices, and maybe they're all right choices, but there's ultimately one that would be better than the others, and that's the one I'm going to stick with. Because above all things, I just want to live a life that's going to bring honor and glory to God and serve Him the best that I can. There's a sign on the highway that said, your decisions drive safety. Benjamin was really concerned I had a typo in that today. He is not a typo. <laughs> committee that put this out had reported that 94% of all accidents on the highway result in driver-related incidents. It's not external things, weather, and things on the road. It's the drivers. The three deadly Ds, distracted, drowsy, and dangerous drivers, cause a lot, majority of all the accidents that happen. And so the quote says on the screen, your decisions drive safety. In other words, you determine the path you take. You determine, you determine the safety of your voyage. You determine the outcome of your path, of your feet. It's kind of what the proverb writer would say. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Let's just end here. Whether if the way is unclear or not, it does matter what path we take. It does matter. Our decisions before God matters. Our choices in life matter. Every choice matters. The world will say this. You've got these things before you and you're not sure. Listen to your heart and follow your heart. The Word of God says, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Don't follow your heart. Just follow the Savior. Follow the Lord. And hopefully these questions and these choices will help you as you continue to pursue the path that follows God and honors Him. Thank you for listening so well today. We're going to have a verse of a song, a closing prayer and a verse of a song, and we'll be dismissed to our classes. Let's be standing and let's have that prayer, please. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us 
at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can, but thank you for connecting with us.